depend on what I do, this could be where God wants to use me, or this could be to my advantage, or if I choose this way, it's going to cost me something. What do I do? In our group just recently, uh, um, one of the men was facing that kind of a decision in a, in a job move, and he asked us as a group, would you pray? And where do you have, where you have a group where, where these are the people who pray for me, and these are the people who next week are going to say, hey, we've been praying for you, what's happening? And so that story that he, that he, he, he shared with us, um, I said, would you be willing to share that with the church? So Shane Cohen's going to do that, and in the spirit of also online, we've got that by way of video this morning. So here's your dad. Good morning, Brush Prairie Baptist. My name is Shane Cohn. My wife, Brandy, and I, and our two kids attend Brush Prairie Baptist. And I was asked recently to share a story that came out of our small group. And this story has to do with a prayer request I made to our small group to um, pray for a decision that I had to make. I was offered a job at another store where I would be offered regular daytime hours and guaranteed Sundays and Mondays off which this is something like what Brandy and I have been praying for quite, for quite a while. Right now, my schedule is different every week, and I never really know without, with much advance notice what my days off are going to be. And so this would really help our, our family a lot. But we wanted to pray about it and, and just see where God was leading me before I went ahead and said yes. And as I was praying about this, I was reminded recently um, of the message that um, Pastor Bob gave about our privilege and what do we do with our privilege and what is privilege and how privilege isn't necessarily just wealth and other advantages that we might have, but also that it has to do with interests and hobbies and the way God has uniquely made us and where he's placed us in the universe. And out of that message, I was, I was inspired. I, I was taking an inventory about what, what are some of my privileges and, and what can I do with those? And I was reminded of my interest in disc golf. And I've been wanting to build relationships with my coworkers for a while. And I was thinking disc golf would be just such an easy way an activity that we could do that would um, get us together outside of work and maybe we'd be able to have some conversations that we wouldn't never normally feel comfortable with having at work. And uh, to my delight, my coworkers ag agreed to play disc golf with me and uh, we've been doing this for a few weeks now. And so as I was praying about this decision to, uh, to work at another store, I... I was thinking about this and I realized that it would be difficult to maintain these relationships. And, and this is something that I've felt that God has, has really led me to do. And, and so as I was praying about this, I, I felt a sense of, of peace about staying where I'm at and that God is, is going to continue to bless these relationships and that seeds will be planted for his kingdom through these relationships. So thank you for listening. That's, that's the story. And I hope that you will pray with me and my small group uh, for these relationships to continue to grow and that we'll be able to have some, some serious conversations about God and, and what he wants for our lives. 
So thank you and have a good morning. So Shane basically uh, took the, uh, as, as we prayed for him, maybe you don't want us to pray for you now, but uh, he, 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 he was led by the Lord to, to make a decision at cost that these people that he was working with, that, that relationship was important and more important right now than the better conditions and circumstances of work that he and his wife had been praying for previously. That One of the things that, 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 that just... Uh, um, makes my heart leap is when I, I hear of somebody making that, that Jesus kind of sacrificial choice for the good of others and to be able to share their hope in Christ with others. That when we, they'll do that even though it costs them something. That, that, that's exciting to me, those, those kind of choices that the Lord will lead us to make as he leads us in the likeness of Christ. That, 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 that connection as well, this story connected in some ways to Daniel chapter 6. As we're moving through the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6 is in some ways, it's a work story. It's a conflict at work story. It's a getting along with others who don't want to get along. There are the political power plays involved and the trying to, to, to uh, get around somebody or get somebody out of the way. And maybe that somebody's you. Maybe you feel the victimizing of, of what others are doing in the power plays that go on in the workplace. And what do you do in the midst of that? Uh, the book of Daniel is a book that calls us to be faithful strangers. Now, I've described Daniel chapter 6 as a, as a work story. And some of the kids are scratching their heads right now. It's really a work story. I know what Daniel... Okay, if, if of all the stories about Daniel, things you heard about Daniel in the Bible, kids, if I were to ask you, what do you what's your, the, the best-known story about Daniel in the Bible, what would you tell me? What story is it? Yeah? Yeah? Daniel in the lion den. That's right. It would be, the, it would be Daniel chapter 6. This is the story. And, and it's about Daniel does what's right even though it's going to cost him. Now nobody's throwing Shane into a lion's den. He's just thrown into the night shift still. But uh, there's a, a cost involved in doing what's right. And Daniel is willing to pay a price to do what's right in following his Lord. And God vindicates him that. God delivers him. You, uh, somebody told me years ago, you make the Lord's business your business and he'll make your business his business. God looks after his servant. Uh, Daniel is called to be a faithful stranger. I'll talk more about that a little bit. He's told to be faithful. He's told to be full of faith in his God. Trust God, somebody told me years ago, and do what's right. Daniel is willing to trust God. And, and he's full, not only full of faith to his God, but he is faithful to others around him. We saw him as an exile, as a stranger, a sojourner, somebody who's not from here, somebody who, was, who wasn't one of them, and yet he's faithful to those whom he's among. He does what Jeremiah told the exiles to do. They said, seek the peace, the well-being, the shalom of the city in which you find yourself in. You find yourself carried away in Babylon by God's doing, then seek the shalom of that place where you find yourself. Daniel's been doing that. Daniel has been a faithful stranger. He has been seeking the good of the people around him. We are set around people that are sometimes difficult, and sometimes they are not for us, and yet 
We're to be faithful strangers. We're to, we're to seek the shalom, the well-being of those that we find ourselves among. That's, that's Daniel chapter 6. Now I want to jump ahead, not to what you, where you thought we were going to go next, but we're going to go to, there's a, there, that's the simple version of Daniel, that Daniel, you do what's right and trust God and God will take care of you. That's the short story of Daniel chapter 6. You could all go home and have lunch. No, don't, don't, don't stay. There's more. What, there, there's more to the, what's Daniel, but, and, and it's, it's found in there's a unique structure of Daniel. Although it's this best-known story, you, you may not have seen this structure before. Look at the structure of Daniel. Next slide. We're just going to skip that. We're just going to leave that. You, you can look at that later. Daniel chapter 6, it's, it starts with, well, Daniel is prospering. He's being promoted there in the administration under the Mede-Persian Mede Empire after Babylon has transitioned into the Persians. And uh, Daniel is, is, is being successful and prospering. The book closes on the same note. So Daniel continued to prosper under Darius and under Cyrus the king. Well, the next thing is, so those are brackets that surround that, the, the, the opening and the closing. The next thing is another parallel. You see Darius signing a decree. Now, this is a big part of the story. It's a very significant part. Darius signs a decree. Don't make any request to anybody else but me. Well, the end of the book, the last several verses, King Darius is again signing a decree. It's a very different decree, but we're bracketed by two decrees by King Darius. That's also interesting. Then we move in a little further, and you have these plotters. They are planning and scheming. They are colluding together to seek Daniel's death. They want to get Daniel out of the way so they can advance themselves. Well, the other side of that story, you have the same plotters meeting their own death. The death they tried to impose upon Daniel, they actually end up suffering themselves. There's some justice there, ironic justice. And so in the middle, you have these parallels. In the center of the story, you have these parallels. Darius hopes for, his, hopes for Daniel's deliverance. Darius is hoping for Daniel's deliverance because the king's not able to save him. And, and Darius then witnesses Daniel's deliverance. He hopes for that deliverance and then he sees that deliverance. Now, in a structure like this, in a Hebrew structure, it's called a chiasm. These parallels, that structure is intended to point toward the main point. The main point is, that is where the center meets normally. It's also another way of just remembering the story and not losing any of those great parallel details. But look to the center to say, what is the story about? The hoped-for deliverance will be experienced. That's it in a nutshell. Now, Daniel is writing in the midst of these captivity years. Daniel is writing in the midst of a time when Israel, waiting for God's kingdom, is not seeing it. They have had the Babylonians. They, have, they now have the Persians. They are going to have the Greeks. They are going to have the Romans. Where is the kingdom of heaven? Where is the kingdom of this great son of David? They had known of Israel's past. And God raised up David in answer to Saul. And David was a great king. And David was a king after God's own heart. He was not a perfect king. But God would raise up a son of David. And we've been watching for him ever since, and we haven't seen him. David's immediate son, Solomon, consolidates the kingdom, but he goes sideways. 
He begins to do things his way instead of God's ways, and things begin God's way, and things begin to unravel. And uh, you see the kingdom weakening, the kingdom is divided, and then the northern kingdom continues off into idolatry to the point that God brings in the Assyrians, carts them all away. Not long after that, the, the southern kingdom, Judah, is also taken into Babylonian exile. It's the exact opposite of what Israel is looking for. This hoped for deliverance when God will establish his kingdom and it will last forever and God will put a son of David, a righteous son of David, on the throne and he will reign forever. The hope for deliverance hasn't yet been seen. You see the tension? That's the tension that Daniel's answering now we're, 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 we're in exile. There is this series of Gentile, non-Jewish empires that are going to, going to pass one after another. Where is the promise of after one kingdom and another and another and another, according to Daniel chapter 2, there will be a kingdom. There will be a stone cut without hands that is going to eliminate, wipe out, destroy all of those earthly kingdoms. And this kingdom will last forever. This kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven will grow and fill the whole earth and last forever. That's Daniel chapter 2. But they don't see it yet. But the hoped for deliverance, God's hoped for salvation will be realized. It will be experienced. That's the point of Daniel writing to an exile audience in his generation. And that's the point of the book of Daniel to you. You hope for a salvation. You hope for a deliverance. You hope for God's rescue that you do not yet see and experience. You haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen yet the resurrection of the body. You haven't seen yet where there will be no more tears. You haven't seen yet where justice and righteousness will reign, will be the norm. We're not there yet. And so we are told, we are warned as, as Christians that the world will say, they'll look at us and they'll mock and they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the vindication of your hope? Where is the outcome and the reason for the sacrifice that God would call you to make? Whether it's at work or in some other choice. Hoped God's hoped for deliverance, God's hope for salvation will be realized. That's the story of Daniel chapter 6. And so Daniel can be encouraged, Daniel can be strengthened to be a faithful stranger. He can remain full of faith toward God. He can be faithful in his dealings with the people around him, sharing this hope that he has, confident that his hope will be realized. With that background, looking for that, if you take away nothing else, let's jump into then Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, it pleased Darius, who has now been set over the whole Babylon former empire by Cyrus, the king of, of the Medo-Persian empire, which is larger than just Babylon. They have swallowed up Babylon into their bigger empire. And Darius is in charge of that. And Darius set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Satraps is a Persian word. It means, it means uh, protectors of the kingdom. So they're supposed to be guardians of the kingdom. And over them he put three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account 
So there's a structure and there's a reporting and there's an accountability and all that is good. The purpose so that the king might not suffer loss. Then Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the individual strengths are being recognized here. Darius is doing a lot right here. He's, he's, he's got a, a management style that we can learn something from, but he also makes a mistake that we could learn something from as well. So Daniel is recognized for his integrity. I titled over the opening, here's Daniel. Daniel was semi-retired. Daniel was, was put out to pasture. Belshazzar in chapter 5 was not interested in any, any help Daniel might be. Daniel maybe was feeling, why am I still here? What useful contribution can I make any longer? God, why have you left me here in Babylon? Because by this time, Daniel... Is actually about 84 years old. Daniel has been in Babylon for 66 years. This is right on the time when Cyrus is going to decree that they leave Babylon and can go back to Jerusalem. Exiles can rebuild the temple, and those who are younger will. Daniel doesn't return with the exiles because he's 84 years old. If Daniel was 18 years old when he leaves um, Jerusalem to go, first go to Babylon, then he has, he's been there 66 years. He's going to be 84 years old. Maybe he left earlier. Maybe he's only 82. Listen, 82, 84. He's up there. He's thinking, what useful contribution can, what good can I do? Why am I still here? God, why are you leaving me here? That's interesting. Because when Daniel's in his 80s, is when Daniel makes his greatest contribution. I know, I know, Daniel did some great things when he first got there, and he and his, his friends, they stood together. There's your first Babylon small group, and they, they encouraged one another to stand in the Lord's ways when the pressure was on them when they were young men. They started their careers. They made an impact. They got even King Nebuchadnezzar's attention because of their integrity and because of the spiritual insight that they had. When Daniel was in the prime of his life, he serves Nebuchadnezzar faithfully. He's a faithful stranger. He's concerned for Nebuchadnezzar's lost soul. And now in his old age, well, he makes a difference for Belshazzar at the end of chapter 5. But he continues to make a significant contribution. I think the greatest contribution, like the, like the kids pointed out, this is the story that's best known. And it happens when Daniel is 84 years old. Not only that, but the writings that are going to continue from here, chapter 7, chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, these chapters that give us the most significant uh, end times prophetic framework in all of the Bible. Those chapters are the reason that there was an expectancy of Messiah's coming in the first century around the time of Jesus' birth and during the time of his ministry because of the timetable that God gave through Daniel when Daniel was already 84 years old. Or older. The, the, um, the contributions that Daniel makes in this era are the contributions that lead to that expectancy. They, they, they undergird Jesus' Olivet Discourse, that, that prophetic message that he gives on the Mount of Olives where, where he says, remember the abomination that, of desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. That, that, that Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 is going to talk about the coming of the Antichrist. The man of sin is going to be revealed in the temple and declare himself to be like God just as Daniel describes. 
it'd have been hard for Paul to write 2 Thessalonians if it hadn't been for Daniel's ministry. Not only that, but the Apostle John, in his ministry, in his 80s or 90s, when, when, when he gives us, God through him gives us the apocalypse, the revelation of the coming of Jesus, the consummation of all things. And, and that, that book, perhaps more than any other, is built upon the foundation of the prophecies that come through Daniel when Daniel is in his 80s. And sitting there thinking, well, Belshazzar hasn't put out the pasture, what good can I do? What contribution can I still make? Can I say to those of you who are in your 80s, maybe in your 70s, and you think there's not a lot that I can contribute any longer, can I tell you? That's not true. Can I tell you as strongly as I can that you may have your best contribution, your longest contribution, the impact on others around you and even on future generations that could go far beyond what you could ask or even imagine? You still, like Daniel in this chapter, have the opportunity to pray for others. You have the opportunity to tell of God's deliverance. You have the opportunity to give counsel to others, to give spiritual insight into what God is actually doing in the midst of a seemingly out-of-control world. You do have the, impact, the opportunity to impact the future and the generations that will come after you. Old people can get away with saying almost anything. Now, now don't let that go to seed. Okay? Don't, 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 don't just get crazy with that. But, but you can get away with saying a lot that some of the others of us will be all the more criticized for. Or it won't be heard in the same way. Take advantage of that opportunity that a silver crown gives you. Daniel is old, but Daniel is not done. Serve where you can. But as you serve, expect opposition, expect corruption. There is corruption. We started reading about it. These, these holdovers who were appointed in these high positions because they had positions in the previous government. They are holdovers from the previous administration. Hold on to that thought. There's jealousy among them at the success of another Daniel. Somebody who shouldn't really be here. Somebody who really shouldn't be one of those that has authority in the kingdom of Babylon because this is Daniel. He's one of the captives. He's one of the exiles. He should be bringing us tea. He shouldn't be, he shouldn't be ruling over us. There's jealousy of another's success. He doesn't belong here with us. There's collusion. They collude together. They, 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 the word that's used for collude, colluding or they're in cahoots together, they're plotting and scheming together, also is the word that, that, that means, and it's, so it's translated in some, in some Bible translations, thronging, because the crowd comes together and they move in a particular direction. So whether they're thronging in purpose, collusion, or whether they're thronging and they're coming together before the king, they're in this together and they are emboldened as a group to do things that they wouldn't dare do individually, I would suggest. That's a group dynamic thing. That people will, when they get into a crowd of others, they will do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Just look at downtown Portland night after night. That's what's happening. People are doing things in a crowd that they would never do individually. Let's turn that around. Let's use that as a model for small groups. No, not spray painting downtown Portland. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But let's use small groups, getting together, gathering with others as a way that we will, as Hebrews tells us, encourage one another, provoke one another to love and good deeds. That's why we'll gather together. They are deceptively misusing law to bring false charges of disloyalty when they themselves are actually the ones who are the ones who are disloyal to the king. So they've turned justice on its head. There's a hint of racism and elitism here. The, this Daniel, who's one of the captives of Judah, he's not one of us. He doesn't really belong in that position. You know, there's also a tendency to disregard or despise morality and goodness. Daniel is good. Daniel is a man of integrity. Daniel is a man who can be counted on to do what is right and don't think they applaud. The king appreciates that because Daniel is looking out for the king. That's his responsibility. But those who want to corrupt the system and want to use the system to enrich themselves, they don't like Daniel's integrity. They do not applaud it. Daniel is an obstacle. Daniel needs to be gotten out of the way. That will be normal in the world, that there will be an antagonism toward that which is good and that which is right, that which reflects God's goodness and his justice. It will be opposed. Expect that. If we have our eyes open, if Darius had had his eyes open here to expect corruption, to expect opposition, Daniel would have never been tossed into the lion's den in the first place. Darius is careless. He's careless when it comes to expecting corrupt motives. Darius seems to have a high view of man when God has a realistic view of humanity. God has a high view of humanity as made in the image of God. We are image bearers. We are to rule, exercise dominion over God's creation. And yet at the same time, we have fallen. We have rebelled. We have turned God's mandate inward. We serve ourselves instead of others. And so there is an a under-emphasized doctrine in the Christian faith called the depravity of humanity that we must not forget. We must not lose sight of because without depravity there is no need for Jesus' death. Because of the helpless depravity of humanity, God must send his son in our place to die for us in order to lift us out of our fallenness into his life and righteousness. Because we have no life and righteousness of our own. We are helplessly, hopelessly lost unless God intervenes because of the depravity of humanity. So don't be surprised when you see it around you. Be surprised, thrilled when you see light in the midst of darkness, when you see goodness in the midst. And you'll see goodness, you'll see glimpses of the image of God even in those who do not know Jesus. And celebrate it when you see it. What if... You told somebody who was not a believer in Jesus. What if you told them one time, you know, something you did there, that reminded me of what God is like. Now, there's a conversation starter. There's something that's the opposite of condemnation that they maybe haven't heard from a Christian lately. Darius is careless about not expecting those motives. His, the edict he's talked into, if he examined a little more closely when they said, oh, I didn't read that part of the story yet, did I? Let's read that part. Pick it up in verse 4. So the, things are going good. Daniel's going to be promoted. But then, 
Verse 4, then the high officials, the satraps, they sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground to complain against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O king Darius, live forever. We just want what's good for you, king, so we've got an idea. All of the officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, everybody were all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, make a decree that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And they urged him, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. If the king signs a decree according to the Medes and the Persians, the king himself cannot take that decree back. It is fixed. This is absolute rule of law once a law has been made. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. It sounded just fine. He, he signed the decree not to make any other petition or request to anyone except the king, any god or human except the king for 30 days. And the injunction, the penalty of that would be thrown into the lion's den. Okay. So that's their scheme. That's their plan. Now, it's not, it sounds like the king is saying everybody should pray only to me. That's actually not what's being described here. I know it's good for the story. I'm sorry if I ruin it for you. But, but what's being described here is make no other petition. Make no other formal request for help and assistance from any human or God except King Darius. King Darius for the next 30 days is going to be the go-to. Folks, you don't need to pray for 30 days. Any of your needs, don't ask God for them. You ask the government for them. The government is going to be your sole source and provider. For the next 30 days, we want to create a new habit. We want you to look to the government first, to the king first, not to your own gods, whoever they may be. These guys also had their own gods that they would pray to, but you can tell those gods were prominent and not preeminent, to borrow language we used earlier. And the, So this is not a deification of Darius. He's not being made a god here to pray to, but he is, as the figurehead of government, he is the one who should answer our needs. He is the one who should provide for everybody. Make no request to any other human or god except to the king Darius. Now, it seems like a good way to unite everybody around the new administration, around the new king, and around the new normal as it is. And yet, uh, there, there's a lot, else go, a lot else going on in the first year of Darius, the first year of King Cyrus. This is going to be the year, later on this year, where Cyrus is going to send people back to Jerusalem to rebuild that temple. And the reason he does that, he says, is because I want you there to pray for me. He's asking Israelites to go back to Jerusalem, build their temple, so there they can pray for King Cyrus. That's going to happen. The exiles are going to get the chance to return. God is on the move. Daniel has been praying to that very end in Daniel chapter 9. And when God is on the move, the enemy will oppose. So don't be surprised when opposition comes. Maybe you're exactly on the right track. So opposition arises in the midst of God's working, and what does Daniel do in the midst of it? How does Daniel respond? Oh, nuts, I can't pray. Okay, well, I guess I stopped praying for 30 days. 
I guess I'll just ask the king to send us back to Jerusalem instead of asking God to do that. That's not what he does. Maybe, maybe, Darius, maybe Daniel should organize a protest. Maybe he should get the other people to pray. And they should all get in front of the courtyard there in front of the palace and they should have a pray-in protest. Well, maybe they'll include other people who pray to other gods also. And they'll have this huge protest and all of these followers of all of these different gods, they can all get together and show by strength of number how important their spiritual rights are. That's not what Daniel does. No, Daniel does something rather different. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, didn't you sign this decree? Anybody who makes any petition to any God or man within 30 days except you shall be cast into the den of lions? The king said, yeah, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, not one of us, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but he makes his position. The trap has been sprung. Daniel seemingly caught, and now the king is going to look for a way out, but there is none. The law cannot be changed. But what does Daniel do? He's upstairs and on his knees. Did you catch that? He's upstairs and on his knees. How old is Daniel? He's 84 years old. And they don't have knee replacements. And they don't have hip replacements. But Daniel is climbing upstairs and he's on his knees. He's, he climbs now. You didn't always kneel in order to pray in the Old Testament. Oftentimes you would stand and raise uplifted arms. That was the posture of prayer. Sometimes when a plea was urgent, kneeling like fasting demonstrated the urgency of the request, the desperate need of the one praying. Daniel is on his knees. He's climbing stairs to do it. He opens the window through which others are going to see him. Why does he do that? Why does he continue to pray just as he has done? There are some things that we can leave off doing for a while if we're told to. We've done that as a church. Why does Daniel keep going? Because there's a pattern of Scripture that tells him to. Psalm 51 says, Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. So there's a pattern of praying two and even three times a day. When you can't go to the temple for the sacrifice, morning and evening prayers are done at the time of the morning and evening sacrifice. There's a pattern of prayer. Not only that, but there's an urgency of this particular hour of prayer. Remember, this is the time when it's near for Israel to be returned from exile. And that's part of Daniel's prayer. It's described specifically in chapter 9. So that's part of his praying here. And, and Israelites were told that when they were in exile, they should pray toward Jerusalem, toward where the temple had been. Solomon, at the, at the dedication of that temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, he says, And when your people have been, because of their idolatry, and because they have forgotten you and not followed you any longer, and they have been carried away into captivity, Lord, when they repent, when they turn in their hearts, and when they pray toward this temple, hear their prayer, forgive their sins, return them to 
the place where you dwell with them. That's what Solomon said when the temple was founded. And it has all been lived out. And so Daniel is simply following the pattern in God's word. Daniel continues as a faithful stranger to do what God has said in the midst of opposition and antagonism, even though he knows it's going to cost him. He doesn't hide. He doesn't protest. He simply keeps doing what is right, and he trusts himself to God. And so, he trusts God for his life. He does not trust himself to men. You see the continuing uh, collusion and schemes of the men from verse 14 on, and then you get to Daniel's trust and confidence in his God beginning in chapter, or in, rather in verse 19. We'll look into some of those verses, but in the midst of this, Daniel has been sentenced to death. Is there any way out? Is there any deliverance for Daniel from the certain death that the law decrees against him, even though he's without blame, even though he's done nothing wrong? There's the tension that's set up now. What's going to happen to Daniel? The background tension for all of God's people is what's going to happen to us. What's going to happen to us in the midst of this difficult time, in the midst of this lion's den among the Gentiles, among the nations that we find ourselves in? There's an interesting parallel here that I want to point out. Many people miss this in Daniel chapter 6, and I want you to, this is going to encourage you. Think, look for parallels here. There's a, there, there are resurrection parallels. There's another story that is not known yet, and Daniel gets to portray it ahead of time. So that when it happens later, people can look back and say, oh, look there, what God was pointing out in advance. In verses 14 and 15, Daniel is condemned by a law which cannot be changed, even though Daniel has done nothing wrong. Okay? Daniel is entrusted to God. Is your God able to deliver you? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's a stone that is used to seal the pit, the place of death. And then the officials come and they put their seal on the stone so that it cannot be moved, it cannot be tampered with. Does that sound familiar? At the break of day, the lady, no, no, sorry, at the break of day, the king rushes to the tomb or to the lion's den in verse 19. Who's going to roll the stone away? Maybe they were wondering. And then the call goes out, has God been able to deliver his faithful servant from the condemnation of death due to the sins of others? Notice in verse 20 that Darius knew something of Daniel's faith. That Daniel had declared his faith to Darius either at his condemnation or in times previous. That Daniel had conveyed that he believed in the living God who was able to deliver him. And Darius wants to see, is it really true? Could it really possibly be true? And he comes, and he, he comes to what's like an empty tomb. He comes to a lion den where there should only be a few bones left. And he calls out to Daniel... Let's pick it up in verse 19. At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually and faithfully, has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, there's this voice down in the pit, O oh, king, live forever. Shalom. Calm down. Chill out. It's okay, king. I mean, the king is about to have a coronary there. And Daniel's concerned for him. 
This is Daniel out of the lion's den. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not hardened me because I have found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm, I have done no wrong. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And Daniel was taken up and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The hoped for deliverance will be experienced. Do you see it? And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, and before they reached the bottom, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. It wasn't that the lions weren't hungry last night, like the kid's song says. No, the lions were hungry. The lions were simply not permitted to execute judgment over this man because he belonged to God. And God drew the line and said, this far, but no closer. You can breathe on him, but no licking, no chewing, no biting, no touching. Okay? What results? What, what comes out of Daniel's deliverance? What happens here? Well, first of all, there are there, those who, re, who had rejected and plotted against him are condemned. Now, it gets pretty ugly there. Even their wives and even their children. I mean, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Kids, what do you think? Is, doesn't that sound kind of harsh that, 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 that the dads blow it here and the children suffer the consequences? Welcome to reality. That happens over and over and over again. That choices that are made, and especially by fathers, the choices that fathers made have an impact on their whole family and will impact future, even for generations. Now you can turn that around for good. The sacrificial, trusting God choices that you make will impact your family and future generations. You know, there's a pattern here of consequences that the whole family experiences as a result. That's true of humanity as a whole. You see that in other places in the Old Testament. You see that after Jericho. You see that in Korah's rebellion there in the wilderness. But you see it in the Garden of Eden. Adam turns against God's will and goes his own way. And his family, all from him, suffer the consequences. You see, that is harsh. That is not fair. I didn't do what Adam did. That's okay, because I didn't do what Jesus did either. But the same principle that condemns in Adam, as Romans 5 says, in Adam all die, even so, no, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die, and even so in Christ will all be made alive. So all those who are in Christ Jesus are made alive in Christ, are raised in Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. Anytime somebody wants to say, but it's not fair, this whole Christian thing, they blame everything on Adam, and yet we pay the cost of it. Jesus paid the cost of it. And you have all the glorious standing of the Son of God with his Father in heaven because Jesus paid the cost of it for you. I don't know about you, but that's something I can grab, I can grab hold of and run with. She's excited about it too. That's pretty cool, huh? Uh, don't, don't worry, Mama. We love being family together. So... Daniel, not only is that there is condemnation, there is a judgment out of the reality of Jesus' resurrection. There is a judgment on those, those who refuse to accept it. There, but there's also, look at what else happens here. There is praise and worship among the nations. I told you Darius wrote another decree. 
Darius, Darius says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Yeah, Daniel, Daniel's enemies were ultimately destroyed. But there is worship among the nations because Daniel trusted himself to his God. What is the core of our commission? The core of our commission is that we would go to others around, them, around us. Going, Jesus says, make disciples. Baptizing them, bringing them into God's family. And teaching them to follow all the things I've commanded you to. Build them up as followers of Jesus. We go to others around us. We bring them into God's family. We build one another up in following Jesus so that there will be praise and worship among the nations. And that comes out of our resurrection life in Christ. You see, what Daniel portrays here, you say, well, that's great for Daniel. But that's not my life. My life is mundane. My life is mediocre. I've never been in or out of a lion's den. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have been in and out of the grave. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are raised in Christ to walk in newness of life, resurrection life. We are already in a not yet kingdom. We already live to a future that will be that we see by faith not yet by sight. And we live toward that kingdom by the resurrection power, by the, by the power, Ephesians chapter 119 says, the same power in us which raised Christ Jesus from the dead. God's power toward you who believe is a resurrection power. And so Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. His death is my death. I am crucified with Christ, never let I live because his resurrection is my resurrection. And this life which I now live in this weak and mortal flesh, I live not in my own strength and my own abilities, my own goodness, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way. The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, not merely to a future resurrection body, though that's true, but will give life to your mortal bodies. The purpose of the indwelling spirit, the essence of the new covenant that a believer in Jesus today walks in, the essence of that is the resurrection life of Jesus in your life and in my life. So it looks like Daniel got all the fun here, and we're just wishing for the future. Daniel would have loved to walk on the resurrection ground where you and I live. So, our prayer ought to be this. Lord, would you use me in some way like you use Daniel? Would you make me a stranger, a faithful stranger to the people around me? Would you make me a faithful stranger that goes to others, that invites others into your family? Would you use me in some way as you use Daniel to, to extend worship of Jesus among the nations because he is the living God and he is worthy? And because he is the living God, God, you can do this, even with me. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Father, we, we do ask you to do that. Father, we ask you to do what we cannot do. We ask you to use us by your own power, by your own faithfulness. Father, we ask that, that something of the risen life of Jesus would be seen in our life. You would give us a sensitivity and awareness to the people around us. You would use us in their lives, Father, for the purpose of eternal life. Father, give us the courage to trust you that your promised, your hopeful deliverance will be our experience. In fact, we can already experience the first fruits of it. So, Lord, as we seek to yield our will to your life, use us like Daniel, Father, as faithful strangers to the people around us. Not for our sakes, Lord, but for their good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.